bring us here tonight to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We are so grateful, Lord God, that you sent him, Lord, to not only die for our sins, but that you raised him up, Lord, proving, Lord, that he conquered sin and death and that he promises to give us new life, Lord. We are grateful, Lord, tonight to be able to celebrate that God. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, would you, uh, as you told Jeremiah, Lord, I will put your words in your mouth. Would you put your words in my mouth, Lord? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and speak and that you would draw people's hearts closer to you, whether for the first time or whether a renewal or whether just in deeper faith in you, God. Lord, we want to see Jesus we want, to, we want to behold the risen one. And so we just thank you. We commit this time to you. We commit our hearts to you. And we just want to celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you guys are excited? Yeah, it's, it's okay, I know, it's Sunday night. So it's a little late, and, and it's, you know, dinner and, and lunch have already settled in. So it's, but I don't know about you, but I'm excited because of all days to be excited and to, be, to celebrate, this is the day. Okay, if there's any, any other day on the calendar, this is the one day. We don't mourn for this day, we celebrate this day. Because this is the day that changed the course of all of history. Everything in history is revolving, this is the most important day of all history. Okay, creation is fine, birth of Christ is worse, important, the death of Christ is very important, but if Christ is not raised up, it means nothing. So our lives are, are, um, our lives are changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, if you uh, tune your Bible, turn in your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 24, and I want to um, continue with the reading that, that Daniel uh, so eloquently read uh, on the first part. This is uh, Luke's account of, of the first visitors to the grave, or some of the first visitors to the grave. Um, the women that had visited the grave, if you, uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 10, now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and also the women of with them, who were telling these things to the apostles. So they had heard, they saw the vision of the angel. The angel says, listen, why are you li- looking for the living among, wait, among the dead? He, he's not here, right? Do you remember what he said to you in Galilee? They went back and told the disciples. In verse 10, it says, they were telling, or they kept on telling these things, that kept on insisting that what they saw was true. If you imagine the scene, these women are coming back. They're frantic. We saw an angel. We saw, wait, Jesus is not here. He's, li- he's alive. And the disciples, verse 11, they heard these word, words and they appeared to be nonsense. The words appeared to be utter nonsense. Jibber jabber. Um, something, a, a person who's very sick and delirious is just babbling, is what they thought. This, this is nonsense. And they would not. They refused to believe them. But Peter, oh man, I love Peter. He gets up, he runs to the tomb, and he stops, and he looks in, and he sees the linen wrappings only, and then he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Verse 13. 
And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. Now, Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem, so, uh, we're, so we, we believe. Uh, so, it's, so it says here. It, okay, so I believe it because it says it. <laughs> it says it right here, so it, it, I believe it. It's seven miles, okay? And while they were talking with each other about these things, in fact, the Greek indicates that they were in heavy discussion with this. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented or restrained from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are the the words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And then he stood still, they looked, and they looked sad, and they were downcast. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, um, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Have you been living in a rock? Well, actually, right for the last three days I have been. <laughs> but um, who are you? And he says, what things? Now, I love the Lord, of course, is, you know, has a reason for this. And he said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since all these things have happened. But also some women among us amazed us. And, and when they were at the tomb earlier this morning, they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, these were among the disciples that the women came and told. So the women told not only the eleven, but other disciples there too, including these two. They heard the women, and they too thought it was nonsense. They thought the news was jibber-jabber. Verse 24, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, so that would be Peter, and John, as we find out in the book of John, found out it was exactly as the women had also said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, oh, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things uh, concerning himself in all the scripture. Can you imagine that scene as Jesus is walking on the road? And we're going to get into this. Expounding the scripture to these two men, and the scripture reveals himself. I don't know about you, but that was one Bible study I, would be, I wish I were, I were at. Jesus giving a Bible study about, hey, here's what the Old Testament says about me. Verse 28, and as they approached the village where they were going, he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now early, is now, you know, it's almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and he reclined at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while we, he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned 
to Jerusalem and found to get, gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the, experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself, Jesus, stood in their midst and said, Peace be to you, or Shalom. And they were startled and, and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you have doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. It is I. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all the things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's basically the whole Old Testament. Then uh, it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And he says, Stay uh, in Jerusalem or stay there until I send to you clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. And then he goes from there. Wow, what a day. I don't know about you, but it, if I'm one of the disciples, the last thing I'm expecting is to wake up and see Jesus. In fact, that was the whole theme of this chapter. Nobody expected the resurrection. Okay? No, the concept of a bodily resurrection was foreign to their minds. Even though Jesus had told them time and time again, hey, listen, I'm going to... They're gonna, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to, the religious leaders are going to hand me over, and they're going to crucify me. I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise again. They did not get it. They did not understand it. They didn't recognize with their understanding. It was the least expected thing that would happen. They were not expecting that on Palm Sunday, as we looked at last Sunday, when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on a donkey like a king, mounted in humility, they thought he was King Jesus coming to Jerusalem to kick out the Romans and take charge. Little did they know that within four, by Friday that, that week, their, same, their Savior would be arrested and crucified. They would scatter. The last thing they were expecting is a resurrection. No one was expecting the resurrection. In fact, the only one, the only one who was expecting something to happen were the religious leaders who say, hey, listen, we think they're going to try to steal his body. So get a guard, a Roman guard, put a seal on that tomb, and put guards around that tomb, lest they steal. But you know something? In this chapter, we find out that the biggest skeptics of the resurrection were who? His very disciples. Here's what's interesting. You have different characters in this story. You have different characters or type of people that are there. You have the women, right, who encounter the angel, they come to the tomb to anoint his body, to, to add spices and other things to his body because it was a rush job. When Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea on Friday took him down, he had to wrap him quickly before the, before the Passover. So he had to do a quick job. By the way, 
he, borrowed, he, um, he buried him in his own tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was a prominent uh, uh, religious leader, and he let Jesus borrow his tomb. He was a secret follower, too. So the ladies are coming on that Sunday morning to help more prepare his body. They weren't expecting a resurrection. They didn't come there to see an empty tomb. They're coming in to see a body, and they're shocked. They see the angels, and the angels say, hey, why are you looking for the, the living among the dead? Didn't you? And they get a little bit of rebuke. Didn't you realize that Jesus, Jesus said this? Remember back in Galilee, he said to you, as if to say, <laughs> um, how many times did he have to tell you, you know? So you have the women who at first are suspicious, but then they receive it and they say, oh. And they go back and, then, and the, they insist with the disciples, this is what happened. They believe. So you have those kind of people. You have uh, the, the, the 11, the disciples who, who are gathered together, and they're hiding out still, and they refuse to believe what they heard. Now, in those days, a, a woman was not considered uh, a viable witness. They weren't educated, um, and to use a woman as a witness to something, you couldn't use a woman in court. Uh, you, a woman's testimony was not allowed in court. But Jesus honors women by allowing the women to see him first, you know. Um, now, some... So, um, so, so you have this... You have different people. You have the, the, the women. You have the disciples. Then you have the two men on the road who now encounter Jesus... They heard the message. They heard, hey, Jesus is, is alive from the women, and they refused to believe. So they go off on the road, and they're, they're still troubled. They heard the resurrection has happened. They're still troubled. Okay, let's go back here. The women hear it. They see the angels. They don't see Jesus. By the way, nobody witnesses the resurrection. You know that. There's no, there's no, like, there's no way, it, they, there's an empty tomb, and there's, there's the testimony of the angels, and then Jesus appears to people. But here's the women. They believe after hearing that. Here's the disciples. They hear the testimony, and they refuse to believe. Here's the two men. They heard, they didn't believe, and they're now downcast, and now they're perplexed as they're walking on this road, and Jesus begins to, to teach them. Then Jesus appears to the full 11 again, and they still are in shock. Jesus appears and says, hey, they thought he was a ghost. He said, touch my, hey, I'm, I'm real. In fact, it says they would not believe it, could not because of their joy and amazement. They're still, this is because no one was expecting this to happen. You get that, Right? There wasn't a concept of resurrection of a bodily form. People believe, yes, you, when you died, you went to be with the, the, the dead, you went to be with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob or wherever part you went, but you didn't come back, okay? In fact, um, the, the Greek philosophers and the, the culture of the time didn't, they saw the body as, and the flesh as being evil, so the goal was to rid ourselves of this, this body and never come back again because, hey, now I got rid of this terrible thing and now I'm free, right? So even the Greeks didn't have a concept of, of a bodily resurrection. It took everyone by surprise. Everyone by surprise. Now here's what's interesting. Now some people 
people, some people, you know, I don't know, not you guys, but some people, they have a problem because they read the Gospels and they say, well, what actually happened? Because there's so many accounts and each of the Gospel writers has their position, right? And they have their, their perspective. I want to sort of get, read to you like a, a sequence of what happened that morning, okay? Because each Gospel writer is presenting a snapshot or a perspective that he wants to focus on. Does that make sense? Ima- now just imagine, Jesus... It's the Sunday morning, and people are coming, they're, they're hearing this, and there's a lot of commotion, there's a lot of activity going on, okay? So let me just read to you real fast the order of events. Number one, the group of women are coming together, they come together, they start for the tomb that ver- very early hour, it's, it's, it's very early in the morning, um, while it's still dark. From one of the Gospels, we see that Mary Magdalene, actually, she's younger, and she runs ahead, and she's the first to come to the tomb. She finds it open and runs back and finds and tells Peter and John. That's in John 20. The other women, they still continue their walk from Bethany. It's a two-mile walk. They arise, arrive there shortly after the sun, sunrise. That's in Mark chapter 16. Then there's an angel who appears to them and gives them the urgent message to the disciples. Go, hey, go, go to the disciples. Then we have... The women that are reading, reading right now, another party of women that come later. And they, these women in chapter 24 of Luke, seek, uh, they see the men dressed in white. Those are the angels. And they get comforted. Peter and John arrive later on. Uh, Peter, uh, from verse 12, they arrive probably about 6.30 a.m. or something like that. John runs ahead, sees the empty tomb first, then Peter. Then Mary Magdalene comes a little bit later and sees the angels. Then the other women come back to this, uh, this, the apostles in chapter 24 of Luke. And then he reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. And a little bit later, some more women, and then Peter. And then finally, on the road to Emmaus, from 4 to 6 p.m., he meets the men on the road. Now, here's what's interesting. <clears throat> so he talks with these men. It's a seven-mile um, journey, so it'll probably take them... Maybe a little less than two hours to travel that. They travel that. They spend some time with Jesus. They just walk seven miles. I know it's like to run seven miles, but walk seven miles. You're tired. It's the end of the day. The sun is going down. It's going down. You're with Jesus. He breaks bread, and that's when your eyes open. They realize that this is Jesus. You know what they do? Do they go to sleep? No. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. This is how urgent. This is how um, this is how how shocking it was to them to tell them the message. So, um, go back to well. I was. Are you still in Luke? I'm still in Luke. Right. We're still in Luke. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I'm. I'm sort of want to focus on on how is it that we have the women. They come in and they're sort of surprised, unexpected, but yet they leave believers. You have the disciples, the original 11, don't believe until Jesus has to appear to them. Then you have the disciples who heard they didn't really believe, they're still dejected, and Jesus has to... How is it that these had all... How is it that people come, they come from different areas, and finally they, get, they come to salvation? You ever wonder that? Because people are in different stages of life, Right? You know, some of us, some people have experiences. They say, I see the Lord in the dream, right? Or, and the Lord, you know, does some miraculous thing, right? Um, and the Lord, you know, has a, they have a Damascus Road experience, that kind of thing. Most of us don't have that. <laughs> I wish so, we did. 
What we have, most of us have, is the testimony of others. The way the disciples had testimony, the men on the road to Emmaus had the testimony of other people saying, hey, this is, this is true. So some people have the testimony of other people. Some of us, it's through reading the Bible, right? We, if somebody gave us a Bible or we we're introduced to Jesus, and as we're reading the Scripture, something happens to us. We, we encounter the Lord, right? We, we, we see the Lord. There's something different. Something happens in our heart. As we, I remember that happened to me. I was reading the Gospel of John, and something happened in my heart. It was refreshed. It was renewed. It was energized. It was, something was different. I encountered the Lord reading the Scripture. Whatever it is, and this is the question I want to ask, what does it take for God to move the stone away from our hearts? The stone was rolled away in, in, in physical form, but there's something that happens in the heart of man and woman, the heart of, of a human being, where God rolls away that, sto- that stone and life enters in. Is it the testimony of others? Is it seeing Jesus personally? Is it seeing Jesus in Scripture? Well, some of us, some of the people in the early first century actually saw Jesus. After he rose again, he appears to people for a period of about 40 days. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read uh, Paul's account on that. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 1, now this is actually a, a sort of a creed uh, that Paul had received uh, that uh, was passed on from the early church. It was probably uh, very early written, and Paul takes this and puts it in his letter. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I make known to you, verse 1, brethren, uh, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than, how many? Five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. That means they're still living. If you want to check out the story, go call them up. Facebook message them, text them, whatever you got to do, contact them because they were eyewitnesses. He's alive. Jesus Christ is alive. We don't serve a dead Savior, we serve a live Savior. A life Savior. Life Savior. <laughs> I don't it just came he's like he, he's a lifesaver. Jesus Christ appears. Listen, these men's lives were changed. Remember, they're not expecting the resurrection, right? And of course the the apostle Paul wasn't expecting a resurrection either. <laughs> Jesus knocked him off his horse, right? Um then after that he appeared to James. Who's James? That's the brother of Jesus. Now listen, what would it take for your brother to admit that you're the Messiah and God? What would it take for your brother? Come on. Daphne, where's she at? Your brother's here. Now, what would it, now, can you imagine, Jim? I don't want, imagine if you had to convince Daphne that you were the Messiah. He had, she, you know, can you imagine what it would take to convince your sibling that you're the God, your son, you're God, right? That's James. 
who during his life didn't believe in Jesus, but certainly after, and, G, and Jesus makes a personal appearance to James, hey, Brother James. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, James writes the letter, the book of James, as does Jesus' other brother, Jude. Hey, that's kind of cool. And last of all, verse 8, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, that's Paul, for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. He goes on from there. No, the, the apostle Paul. Okay, the apostle Paul was Saul of Tarsus, and he hated Christians, and he had them arrested, and he, he went chasing them down to bring them back, to arrest them, to, to, to squelch this movement. This little this sect called the Way and later called Christianity, he wanted to, to to squelch it and stop it before it got too too big. And while he's on his way to 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 Damascus in in Syria, Jesus knocks him off his horse, and he has a, a literal face to face encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, "Stop! <laughs> you're going the wrong way. And by the way, you're my chosen vessel." And the Apostle Paul writes the majority of the New Testament letters. In fact, scholars will tell you the Apostle Paul is the one responsible for, for having the most influence of spreading Christianity in the early, uh, early centuries. More than anyone else, the Apostle Paul is the reason why Christianity spread. Here's a man who was a Pharisee, who hated Christians, who hated Jesus. One day, the next thing, he gets saved because he meets a risen Savior who sets his life straight, who turns his life around because he's God and he's, he's, he's alive. We serve a living, living Savior. Listen, let us not act like the men on the road to Emmaus and be down about this, right? Let us hear the message of the gospel and say, yes, he is alive. It makes all the difference in the world, Right? Because if you walk around thinking your Lord and Savior is dead, then, then by all means, mope around all you want. But if your Lord and Savior is alive, that means a whole, that, that's another game plan right there. Okay? No, if nothing can stop Jesus from staying in the grave, there's nothing that Jesus can't do in our lives, right? Oh my goodness. I'm going to start preaching now. <laughs> because Christ, listen, listen. Now, now, listen, you guys know me, right? Um, and I promise, on Friday I had like 30 pages of notes. I said, okay, this time I'm taking one page. Forget the one page, right? Because guess what? Were the disciples willing to die for Jesus while he was alive? Oh. Okay, so Peter says, Peter says, but Lord, I will, I, everybody else can fall away, but I... No way, Lord, I'm going to stay with you no matter, no matter what, right? And the first sign of trouble, what happens? In fact, what, here's what Peter does. Peter, uh, having just, he probably had, he has a shorter dagger knife thing that he probably used for cutting the, the Passover lamb or the bread or whatever it was. He takes it, of course, he, you know, he's trying to fight a Roman soldier who has a longer sword, who's a professional killer, but he's desperate because he doesn't want them to take Jesus. And then when, he's, when he fails at that, and he sees all the commotion of all these, this Roman court of 500 soldiers and what they could do, what does he do? He heads, he heads, he's out of there, right? He's doing this. And all of them scatter. They follow from a distance. You know Jesus? No, I don't. 
Once, twice, three times. It's like family feud, right? And, you know, and you're, <laughs> that's it. If the disciples aren't willing to die for Jesus when Jesus is alive, what makes you, the disciples are willing to die for Jesus if he's still dead? In other words, the, the thing is, well, you know, they, here's what they did. They, they went and stole his body. What do you mean they stole his body? They weren't expecting a resurrection to begin with. Well, they went to the wrong tomb. Okay, the verses before this said the women actually followed them and watched how they, how, while they watched how they buried him. By the way, um, two things. One thing is that most people who were crucified weren't buried. Most people who were crucified, they would be crucified and left to die for three or four or five days, exposed to the to the elements, to animals, who knows what. And after several days, they would, probably, they would peel the bones off and whatever was left of the flesh, and they would throw into a mass grave. Okay, didn't get a burial, most people who got crucified. They didn't, they didn't have the luxury. But then you have this rich guy, who Isaiah said, hey, he was buried with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea had his own grave site, right? Everyone knew where it was at. In fact, it would have been registered. You know, when you buy real estate, you know, it, you can go on maricopa.gov, right, and look up where people live and stuff. Just, <laughs> you know, you, know you, can, you can look up famous baseball players or something, you know, like, a little stock, you know. You can do that, right? They would have had that registered, and everybody knew where Joseph's grace was. In fact, Joseph ends up being buried there anyway because Jesus only borrowed it for the weekend, right? Like a little weekend stay. Hey, Jesus, hey, thanks for the... Thanks for leaving the light on for me, you know, and, you know, checks out, okay? So they can go to the wrong grave. And some people say, well, maybe he didn't really die. It's called the swoon theory. You know, people make up crazy things when they don't want to believe stuff, right? See, see the problem is not the lack of information or facts. The, fa- the, the problem is they would not believe with disciples. They would not believe the testimony. And people often don't want to believe the facts, we don't need more information. You know that. Empty grave wasn't good enough for me. If they stole his body, because if they stole his body, wait a second, hold on. They'd have to get past the Roman guards. But they already had a confrontation with the Roman guards the first time, and they, they hit road, right? So the likelihood of them stealing a body that because of doing a resurrection that they weren't expecting. Remember, the concept of a bodily resurrection was unexpected. I can't stress that enough. Jesus is transfigured one day. <clears throat> Afterwards, he says something about his, his death, burial, and resurrection, and they're like wondering, what is, what is the resurrection? What does that mean? It does not enter their concept. It's as if I said iPhone 7 to them. They would have said, what? What's a phone? What's iPhone? They, wouldn't, they would have no concept of that. That's, how, that's what we're going to... Jesus introduces something brand new. Brand, brand, brand new. That's why the whole world changes, because of Jesus. So they didn't steal his body. He died. They watched this. Listen, the Romans were professional killers. They had one job, right? When they crucified him. By the way, the cross that we had at our house was probably more the right size. He's not 10 feet up in the air. He would have been probably maybe 15 inches off the ground on a, on a visible, on a main highway for everyone to see. He's dying there. He's being... And of course, to speed up the process, they went and broke others, uh, the legs of the people, and Jesus was already dead. They didn't break his legs. But to make sure he was dead, they took a spear, and they stabbed it into his side. 
as we said on Friday with with Good Friday service. He was dead. He was buried. He was not coming back. According to the disciples, they were dejected. They said, we were hoping. You, you You get the concept here, right? The expectation for Jesus to be the Savior, to be the King, was high, as we said on, on last Sunday, uh, Sunday night with Palm Sunday. And their dejection was such that Jesus didn't fulfill what they thought he would fill. How many of you guys ever had the disappointment in God where you thought, God hasn't done what I thought God should have done? God didn't show up where I thought God should have showed up. God was silent where I thought he should have, he should have said something. Or God, you could have prevented this from happening. We 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 are like the 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 the, the people on the road to Emmaus. We know we've heard, but something doesn't connect with what we've heard and what we've experienced. We were hoping this, and something else happened. Oh man, I love what Jesus does. He takes him to the scripture. He takes him to the scripture. He says, listen, hey, if, if, all, if all else fails and you haven't encountered the Lord, encountered the Lord in real life and a person and, and seen a vision, you'll encounter him in scripture. And Jesus takes him twice. He actually says things that were uh, uh, spoken about in the prophets and later he adds the Psalms. Can you imagine what he would have said on that, that road? Maybe, it was, maybe the first thing he says, you remember back in Genesis Remember back in Genesis when, the, when mankind fell in Genesis chapter 3? Genesis 1 is creation, Genesis 2 is creation. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. Oh, great. But God has made us good in chapter 1. God has made good in chapter 2. Now in Genesis 3, there's a serpent. Where did he come from? Well, he's a snake. Well, he does not know normally an ordinary snake. The snake is kind of evil, right? He knows things. He knows how to twist things, right? And, of course, they fall for it. They eat their fruit and... Now they're separated from God. But what does God say? Look at Genesis 3.15. I love what God says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your seed and her seed. Cluing in her seed. Normally women don't have seed. Normally it's the man has a seed, right? I mean, biology 101 to me. I don't know. (laughs) Her seed. Hinting at something. Something special. He will bruise you on the head. And you'll bruise him on the heel. In other words, he's going to give you a vital blow, a blow like that. You're going to hurt him a little bit. When, when Jesus, listen, when Jesus is, is dying on the cross, he's giving the devil a blow. And guess what? The whole matter with Jesus dying on the cross is all under God's control. Maybe he's talking about that. Maybe he foreshadows to the fact that after Adam and Eve did this, God provides a covering for them by slaughtering an animal. There's a covering for sin. But the animal had to suffer. Maybe Jesus uh, talks about, uh, in Genesis 22, when Abraham is supposed to offer Isaac, who's a a picture of Jesus, bearing his own wood on his back to the place where he will be offered up to God. By the way, that's the same place where the cross is at. Mount Moriah. Instead, God provides a ram caught in a thicket, and that ram now is, is a picture of Christ as well as, as Isaac. Maybe Jesus takes them to, um, to, to, to Exodus, where there's the Passover lamb, and the Passover was the, the holiday where um, God was setting his people uh, free from Egypt. Let my people go, you know, 
Moses, Ten Commandments, you know, Moses and the plagues, and the people have come out of Egypt, and God has one last judgment against Egypt, and He says, Now I'll have all your people go in your houses, but before you do, you're going to take a lamb, and it's going to be your pet, you know, at first, but then later you're going to have to, you have to, you have to kill it, and you have to apply the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils of the door. And that night, when I pass over, when I come in, and if I see the blood, I will pass over that house so that everyone who is within the blood or covered by the blood will not get judged. But everyone who is not covered by the blood, their firstborn will die. That's what happens. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Later on, John the Baptist will say, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God, the picture of the Lamb where there was, on the Day of Atonement, there was actually two lambs. One, was, one had their sins confessed on the Lamb, sacrificed, and the Lamb was, was uh, another one was sacrificed. One with the sins was led out to the wilderness, and they will lead it until you see it no more, picturing both a death for the sin and also the carrying away of sin so that you never see that sin anymore. Jesus alludes to that. That's a picture of Christ as well. I can go on and on. Can I do that? Of course I can. I have the keys. (laughs) I need some water though, you know. Maybe... um, Maybe he takes them to numbers, and there's, there's a scene where there's, where there's um, serpents that come into the, to the, to the camp, and they start killing people, and, and Moses says, make a bronze serpent so that whoever gets stung or bitten can look at the, that thing you make, and they'll be healed. And Jesus says, he gives an illustration of himself in that scene as well. Maybe he takes him to all kinds of verses, you know, because it's a seven-mile, it's a seven-mile walk. Can you imagine this? Verse after verse after verse after verse. Probably two of the main verses he probably took him to was Isaiah fifty-three and, uh, and Psalm twenty-two. Isaiah fifty-three is probably the crucial chapter of the Old Testament that speaks of the suffering of the Messiah. Yeah, there's king verses, uh, king and Messiah, the the reigning rule of the Messiah. But they always skip over Isaiah 53. In fact, um, if you go to, well, I have 53. The, the verses before it talk about how uh, his servant will be, um, go back to Isaiah 52, verse 13. Just start there, okay? Behold, my servant will prosper. He will, make, uh, he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man. Christ suffered such brutal brutality that you couldn't recognize him as being a man. But he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had they had been told, they, they, then, then they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. And Isaiah says, Who has believed our message? Verse, uh, the 53, verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Revealed, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a tender, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted. Like there was nothing about Jesus' physical form that says, "Hey, now that's the Messiah," right? He would have blended in, but that wasn't the point. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrow, as an acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. He suffered so we wouldn't have to suffer. He died so we could live. I don't know about you, I'm, that's worth celebrating to me because thank God that Jesus Christ endured this for us so that we not have to endure one iota of what it likes to be separated from God, one iota of a second, of a millisecond to be, to be tortured or, or punished for any of our sins. You get that, right? I don't know about you, but that's, um, I'm, I'm so glad I don't have to. Hey, listen, when we die and go to heaven, we won't have to experience, now we'll have face-to-face with God and God will go over our life and We'll talk about things you know, but we don't have to experience one, one drop of pain, one of, 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 of for our sin. Yeah, we endure pain in this world. We have, we have hard times. This, you know, we know that. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You know, I wish that Jesus would have died and said, okay, now no more trouble in this world, but there's, there's trouble in this world. But we know that Christ is victorious of this world, Right? We know that he's victorious over over the over over the you know over Satan over sin over death. Uh, I, I don't want to be more on the point, but he he um, he says skip on down to verse nine. His grave was assigned with the wicked, yet with the rich man he was he was in his death, and because he had no he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased, verse ten, to crush him, putting him to grief. Now watch this. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, watch this. He will what? He will what? Look at the scripture. Oh. He will see his offspring and he will what? You know what that speaks of? The resurrection. This, this servant who's just endured horrendous, horrendous experience. Isaiah says, because he's rendering himself as a guilt offering... He is going to see his offspring, and he will prolong his days. In fact, the this, this psalm, Psalm 16.1, talks about the resurrection as well. It hints at the resurrection. Not only did the Christ have to die and suffer, but that the Christ would resurrect as well. Psalm 16.1, do you have that on the screen as well? Psalm 16.1, it says, Preserve me, O God, for I take... I'm sorry, 16, um, I think it's verse 10. 1, or, or 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. There it is. Jesus died. Now, He's, he's raised up within three days, because after three days, like fourth day is when decay starts setting in. We serve a, a, a living Savior. Okay, now listen, listen. I'm going to take a break for a second. <laughs> Mouth's dry. Each person who comes to the Lord encounters the Lord encounters the Lord in a various in a certain way. For some, it's seeing a vision. For some, it's some encounter with the Lord. For some, it's experiencing the Lord through Scripture. But I think one of the biggest testimonies that brings people to the Lord is the testimony of another person that says, here's what happened to me. The testimony of a changed life. 
The disciples experienced, they had visitations from Jesus, and every disciple died for Jesus. They lived their life spreading the gospel and ended up dying for Jesus. In other words, they, they, they committed themselves to Christ and they ended up dying for Jesus. Um, um, and telling people about Jesus. It's the testimony, the testimony of a changed life when the stone is rolled away from our hearts. How many of you guys remember the first time that stone was rolled away from your heart? If you're a believer. The first time that, that Christ did something in your heart and something was different. And you felt the, the fact that the Son of God was now living inside you. All the disciples, except for John, you know, John, they try to kill him, but then they end up banishing him to, uh, to an island. They all died horrendous deaths. Peter, of course, is, is crucified upside down by Nero. In fact, Peter didn't want to uh, die the way his Lord did, so he says, uh, turn me upside down. They killed him. Uh, Andrew was uh, scourged, and he had ropes, and he was like, like an ex where they hung him for a couple days. Uh, James, uh, the disciple James, was beheaded with the sword. He's actually the first martyr. Uh, Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified, head down. Thomas was burned in an oven. Matthew was axed to death. Um... I mean, I mean, every one of them in, in, in encountered uh, they encountered Christ, but they also encountered they died. They they they, they died for him. Um, the biggest change, the biggest testimony of, of the resurrection, is a changed life. It's a changed life. Our lives are different. Jesus is alive, and our lives different. We have purpose in life because of Christ. You know that. We have hope in life because of Christ. Without Christ, there's no hope. With Christ, there's hope. We have purpose and a destiny. We have the confidence that the day our heart stops beating, one instant, the next instant, we will be with the Lord in His glory. We have the confidence that all of our sins have been paid for, we have the confidence that when, when, when death comes knocking, Jesus says, no, 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 this is my child. We have, we have, um, um, we have forgiveness. We have confidence that whatever past we have, we have a new beginning. I don't know about you, but today, the day of all days, we say Jesus Christ is living, is living proof, and, he, and, and I'm living proof that he's alive because my life's different. I've encountered the Lord and my life is different because he changed me. That will be the biggest testimony you can tell anybody else. My challenge to all of us is to say, listen, Christ is alive because he changed me. I serve a living God, not a dead God. A living Savior, not a dead Savior because he changed my life. He changed my life. I was, you know, I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was a different person. Now I'm, now I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. 
you know, and sometimes some of us have trouble getting over our past. In Christ, there is no past. It's gone. We have new future. We, we remember our past, but God forgets our past. He has new things in store for us. Everything is brand new. And God says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. We serve a, li- a live Savior, a living Savior. I don't know about you guys. This is, this, this is better than watching the Cardinals almost win the Super Bowl. Come on. Come on, you know how the scene that the Cardinals, are, they, they score with like a minute and or how many seconds left? And what are we doing? We are cheering, right? Because our Cardinals are about to win the Super Bowl, right? And then what happens? Okay, the moment the Cardinals score the touchdown, what do we all do? We jump up for joy. We're hugging each other. We're laughing and crying because we have so much pent-up energy in this one stupid game. It means so much in life for your team to win, right? By the way, your team wins one year. The next year could be terrible, right? So it's like this roller coaster thing, right? It's like, oh, will it be this year? Will it be this year? Will it be? Oh, maybe it's a rebuilding year. Oh, it's a rebuilding year. Maybe this is the year. I like the trades, and then injuries come in, and all this kind of stuff. You're like, you're, you have so much hope, to, you know, like the poor Card- Cardinals, Cowboys, whoever, you know, what your team is, you know? They score a touchdown, and guess what happens? You're happy for joy, and then, then you watch, of course, what happens. We all live there, you know, we all, you know. Let me tell you something. The resurrection doesn't do that to us. Jesus says, I'm alive, I've conquered sin, I conquered death. No more Super Bowl, no more any other uh, questioning. I'm the, he says, I'm the champion, and that's it. Enough said. No more next year trades and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's victorious. He doesn't let us down. Our team's let us down. Our Diamondbacks let us down. Except for one year they won. But guess what? How many years ago was that? They were like, well, that's not satisfactory enough. That's one year. What about this year? With the resurrection, it's new. And it's never going to change. And it supplies everything we need. It changes the world. The world's not the same because of Christ. Christ's resurrection changes the entire course of this world. Touchdown. Is it hot? Okay, it's hot in here. It changes the entire course of this world. I know I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, listen, I don't know about you, it's okay to have sports. It's okay to have that kind of stuff. But listen, I don't want to be let down anymore. I don't want to be like the men on the road and say, oh, we were hoping. No, 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 no. Our hope has been renewed and restored. Our hope is in this living Savior who knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. He knows those who are his. He has removed the stone from the grave. He has conquered sin, health, death, and hell. And he's not finished with what he started. If he started there, if he started with each one of us, he's not finished with, with us. And one day, he's going to call us home. And we're like, yes, Lord. But before then, we have one job. Tell others about him. Tell others what he's done in your life. You want to bring people to Christ? Tell them what he's done for you. Tell them your encounter with Christ. Tell them your encounter with Jesus. Tell him what difference he makes to you. Because if he doesn't make a difference to you, why would, he, why would people want to come to him in the first place? You say, here's what the Lord does for me. 
He supplies everything I need. He's there when I need Him. When I'm feeling down, He's there. When I'm feeling alone, He's there. When I'm feeling guilty, guess what? He's already taken care of my guilt. When I don't know which way to go, He knows where is to direct me. He has everything in store, for, and He has everything in my life in order. Nothing surprises Him. You tell others about Him. You be His witnesses that He's a living, risen Savior. Don't be ashamed. We have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be afraid of, because guess what? We have the goods. We have what the world wants. We have what your next door neighbor wants. We have, we have what your cousin who's been drinking and taking drugs wants, what they need. Let's act like it. Tell them what Jesus has done. He's living. He's made a difference in your life. He's not, you're not the same as you were yesterday And you're not just going to be the same tomorrow. He has made a difference in your life. Go and be his disciples. Proclaim, as the the apostles did in the book of Acts, the risen Savior, the living Savior, who shook the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a a living Savior. You have come, conquered sin. You You have paid for our sin. But then, you know, Lord... Death was not even strong enough to keep you down. In fact, you had to, as my friend said, like a boxer has to drop weight to get to that weight class. He had, Jesus had a, you had to come down here just to, just to death it wasn't even at your level is what I'm trying to say, Lord. That death had no power over you. You were in control of the whole thing. Lord, thank you, Lord, that the Scriptures affirm from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis with the fall of man, the whole story of the Bible being the story of redemption. Thank you, Lord, that everything came to fruition and you are a trustworthy God. And if you have said that you've given us life, we have new life indeed, Lord. Lord, you are risen. You are alive. We celebrate that. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.